Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, John continues his description of the events of the Tribulation from the book of Revelation in his message, False Religion and Dirty Politics, Part 2. In Revelation chapter number 11 and in verse number 7, this is the first reference we have in the book of Revelation to the Antichrist. Revelation eleven seven. when they finished their testimony, that's talking about the two witnesses at that point in the tribulation, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. And so where does the, where does the beast come from? He comes from the bottomless pit and it comes from a, demo, from a demonic world and presumably will inhabit a human body. It's a devilish, demonic person. But this is the very first reference we have to him. Now, turn to chapter number 13, because in chapter number 13, we have a description in the first eight verses of the Antichrist. I don't want to read all those verses, but we read in chapter 17 about how he'll have seven heads. Uh, We'll look in verse number three. This is all metaphorical language, but notice what it says. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now remember, the beast is the Antichrist. He hates Jesus. He's jealous of Jesus. He wants the same worship and adoration that is reserved only for Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried. He came back to life again. There will come a point in the tribulation where the Antichrist will be wounded, but he will stage a fake death. And it will appear as though he has been killed. And then he will come back to life again, trying to mimic Jesus, trying to look like Jesus, trying to portray himself as one who has conquered death. And when he does that, he's going to get a great following. Now, bring that out early in the message, because as we work through chapter 17, John's going to make a reference back to those two things that we've just seen. So that will make it uh, good later on. So we have the woman representing false religion, and we have the beast representing the Antichrist. Now look in verse number four. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And so this woman is beautiful on the outside, but she is wicked and evil on the inside. And on her forehead, a name was written. Now watch this, mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And so now this woman is being described as the mother of harlots, Babylon the great. Okay, false, all false religion can be traced back and has its roots in Babylon. Babylon is located uh, in modern-day Iraq. It is 50 miles south of Baghdad. And in the Bible, we read in different places about Babylon, but we also read in Genesis chapter 11 about a place called Babel. And where back in way early times, 
the people decided they would build a tower up to God and they would make a name for themselves and they would make a city for themselves and they would be great. And so they're building this tower up to God. And in Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says God came down to see this thing they were doing and how they were building this tower up to God. And God was angry as they were trying to build a monument to themselves. And what did God do? God confused their languages and God scattered the people all over the world. And now people are having to move to places where they understand the languages that are being spoken. And so it was called Babel because when they started talking, it sounded like they were babbling. And the name Babel and the name Babylon literally mean confusion. And that's what false religion is. It is confusion. The people building that tower were confused and they were trying to make a name for themselves instead of trying to glorify God's name. Now look in verse number six. John said, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. A reference to the fact that many genuine Christians will be killed during the tribulation and they will be killed by these who are practicing false religion and even following the Antichrist. And John said, when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now look at verses seven and eight. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the 10 horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit, the abyss. We just read that in chapter number 11. That's where he came from. And go to perdition, destruction. Ultimately, the Antichrist will go to hell to the lake of fire. And it says, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not, and yet is. So he was, and then he is not. He was appeared to be killed, and now he's come back on the scene again. Now look in verse number nine. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And so perhaps this is a reference to Rome. Maybe so, maybe not. Some say yes, some say not. Rome is known as a city that is surrounded by seven mountains. And so maybe this is the revived Roman Empire. Maybe not. Some, most theologians, I think, would say it's virtually impossible to tell where the Antichrist will, will center and headquarter his religion one day. Will it be in ancient Babylon, 50 miles south of Baghdad? Will, will that area become the headquarters for the Antichrist? Will it be the revived Roman Empire? Well, it's just not clear exactly where that will be. But look in verse number 10. There are also seven kings. So these seven heads that the Antichrist had is, is representing these seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. Now what in the world? This is some deep stuff. This is why people get tripped up in Revelation. They say, how could anybody ever understand this? Well, it is a very difficult book to understand. And I don't claim to have the full knowledge of this book. I learn every time I study something I didn't know before. And in studying for this, these seven kings, it says five have fallen. It is talking about five kingdoms, five empires that have risen and fallen by the time John wrote this apocalypse, this book of the Revelation. Who, which, which kingdoms? The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Greeks. 
You don't even have to be a student of the Bible to know about those five dominant world empires. You just have to be a student of world history to know that those were the five first kingdoms, in the, the Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, the Persians, and the Greeks. So those have all, those have fallen, John says. And then he says, one is. So there's one kingdom that's, that's happening at the time John wrote this. That was the Roman Empire. When John wrote Revelation, it was all about Rome. Rome ruled the world. And then he says, and the other has not yet come. What is that a reference to? It's a reference to the Antichrist. And then he says, and when he comes, the Antichrist, he must continue a short time. Verse 11, the beast that was and is not and is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. And so the Antichrist is one of the seven leaders of the world. After the Roman Empire that fell a long, long time ago, there has not been one empire that rules the world. Now, America is a superpower, but I don't think you could, nobody could say that, that America is an empire that rules the world. China is not an empire that rules the world. Since when, from the time that Rome fell until now, there's not been an empire that, will rule, that has ruled the world. But when Antichrist comes, he will rule the world. Very significant that we understand that. The Antichrist, just like these other empires, will rule the world. So he's one of the seven, but as we saw earlier, he's going to stage a death and then a resurrection, and so after that, he's going to now be considered the eighth empire. It's like he had his empire, he was killed, he came back, and so he's one of the seven, but he's also is now on, he's the eighth empire. So the Antichrist is the seventh and the eighth uh, leader of the world. In verse number, and it says, and is of the seven and is going to perdition, destruction. He's headed to, to hell, but he's not there yet. Verse 12, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have received no kingdoms as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings of the beast. These ten, these ten kings, that on the these ten horns on the Antichrist ahead, that are representing these these uh, these these ten kings, they're like puppet kings who do whatever the Antichrist tells them to do. And for a short time, they're going to have some uh, authority. Look in verse number thirteen, and thirteen and fourteen. They, these, these 10 kings are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So they just, they just serve the beast. They're puppet kings. Verse 14, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. So these kings working under the authority of Antichrist, will, will eventually challenge Jesus Christ himself to a battle, the Lamb of God. And that will be the battle of Armageddon in chapter 19 that we'll get to eventually. But it's talking about how these kings are going to challenge Jesus and Jesus will overcome them. He will put them down. Now look in verses 15 through 17. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the, where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, and nations and tongues. And the 10 horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their heart to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And so the this harlot, this woman is sitting on top of these waters. The waters represent people. The woman represents the, the false religion of the day. 
And there's coming a time when the, the people, the woman, is going to turn against uh, the people, and these ten kings which are on the earth are going to turn against the people and is going to kill the people. And so think about what I said earlier. At the beginning of the tribulation, Antichrist is going to make a peace covenant. Worship whoever you want to worship. If you're Jewish, worship the God of the Old Testament. If you're some other religion, worship your God. But halfway in, and this comes out in Revelation chapter number 13. I didn't go to all those verses, but it says at the midpoint of the tribulation, he will be given 42 months. That's three and a half years. And at this point, the mark of the beast will be given and the Antichrist will demand that he be worshipped. Now think, this is dirty politics. Because at the beginning, he said, worship whoever you want to, and everything's fine. And so the picture is now that the, this harlot, this beast is turning, the harlot and the beast and these kings are all turning against the people, and they're all killing the people on the earth. Again, I want you just to see verse, verse number 15. He said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these ten, ten kings now, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked. That is, the harlot is representing false religion. And so the ten kings now are going to kill those who are not worshiping the Antichrist and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. And even we see in verse 17, that's part of God's judgment, even though that's what the Antichrist is motivating these kings to do, to kill all the people who are not worshiping him. God now is using this as his just judgment to carry out his judgment and wrath uh, on those who have rejected Jesus Christ and who have blasphemed the name of God. And so the Antichrist, I cannot say enough bad things about him. He is the devil in the flesh. He is no peacemaker. The devil is no peacemaker. The devil is no friend. I'll tell you what kind of person the devil is. The devil tempts and entices us to sin. And many times we take the bait and do what he entices us to do. And after we sin, he turns around and accuses us. And that's what he's going to do during the tribulation. They're going to be riding, as it were, on the Antichrist. It says back in verse number 7, it says, it says that uh, the woman... Uh, was carried by the beast. The beast carries her very much like uh, an animal would carry a person. The Antichrist is going to carry these who are practicing false religion. And at three and a half years in the tribulation, he's going to turn on them and he's going to kill them. Now, I know this has been a heavy, heavy sermon. And so I want to lighten it up here. In preparing this sermon, I read a little song that I want to just read you today. And I think it will give you a visual of how the Antichrist will turn on people during the tribulation. He's promising them peace, but he's going to destroy them. Just like the devil does that today. And the song is about a crocodile. Now, we know crocodiles are very dangerous and deadly, but it's about a, a lady who decided that she would ride on the back of a crocodile across a river, across, a, across some kind of body of water. And so listen to this song. She sailed away on a lovely summer's day on the back of a crocodile. You see, said she, he's as tame as tame can be. I'll ride him down the Nile. The croc winked his eye and the lady waved goodbye, wearing a happy smile. At the end of the ride, the lady was inside and the smile on the crocodile. 
And so this lady's looking at this crocodile, and the crocodile's winking at her, saying, let's go for a ride. And she thinks, man, this is a tame crocodile. And she gets on the back of that crocodile. And before that ride was over, that lady was in that crocodile's belly, and he had eaten her up. That's a beautiful picture of the devil. He says, ride with me, come with me. It'll be the land and the, and the life of fun and pleasure and excitement and, and, and life to the fullest. And so many people get on the devil and they go his way. And what does he do? Remember what he is. He's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And along that ride, what does he do? He turns on those who have chosen to ride on him. That's the Antichrist. That's the devil. There's absolutely nothing good about him. And then in verse 18, and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. In other words, that great city where the Antichrist will be headquartered, wherever it's written, a revived Roman empire, whether it's in Babylon or whether it's somewhere else, the woman refers to the city and the city is described by false religion and by dirty politics. Now, as we come to the end of this sermon and we think about false religion and dirty politics, and I was thinking, what, what, what are some things I could say at the end to make this a little more applicable? Hopefully it's been interesting to you and you see that uh, the sun is indeed setting on this world. It's setting now. We're coming to the end. It's not the end, but we're coming to the end. And we certainly live in a day where there's much false religion there are many religions out there who do not confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's all false religion. It's not real. And there's much dirty politics going on in the world today. And so I thought, well, as I wrap this up, I think what I want to focus on is not so much the dirty politics. I want to focus on the false religion because the dirty politics ultimately is a result of the false religion. See, if things are not right spiritually, things will not be right politically. You can't have a God-centered political uh, way of life if the people themselves are not God-centered. And so the spiritual is always more important than the political, and the political is always a result of the spiritual. And so in life, there are many who just say, well, if we can just fix the political, then we'll have a better world. But friend, if you don't address the spiritual, you'll never fix the political. And so the thing that God's called us to do, certainly the thing that God's called me to do as a minister is to address the spiritual. And so I want to address the spiritual, and I want to make three statements as I close today about false religion. Not only the false religion that will characterize the tribulation, but the false religion that characterizes the world today. Number one, false religion is instigated by the devil. It's instigated by the devil. The devil is the one who hates God. He is jealous of God. All false religions are either perversions of God, replacements of God, or a denial of God. Even atheism is a false religion because it denies God. Certainly it doesn't confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but it's all instigated by the devil. Why did the devil get kicked out of heaven in Isaiah chapter 14? He wasn't the devil then. He was a beautiful angel. His name was Lucifer. Read it in Isaiah chapter 14. Five times that Lucifer said, I will, I will exalt myself. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will exalt myself and be like God. He wanted to be worshiped. God saw that pride, God kicked him out of heaven and he became the devil. And so false religion is always instigated by the devil. The devil doesn't want anybody to worship Jesus and the devil will create all kinds of religions to keep people from doing so and he's been quite successful in that. Second statement, false religion is motivated, humanly speaking, by a lot of different things. It's instigated by the devil, but it's motivated by a lot of different things. It could be pride, it could be selfishness, 
It could be family tradition. In other words, some people are the religion they are because their parents were that religion, their grandparents were that religion. And probably even those of us who are Christians, we started going to a Christian church because our parents took us to a Christian church, but there came a point where we had to make our own decision for Jesus Christ. I could say it this way. I started out in the church because my parents took me to church, but I had to make my own decision to become a Christian. But some people don't make, many people don't ever make a decision to become a Christian. They say, I'm going to just stay in the religion I came up in because that's what my parents were. Beautiful rituals. Many people like their religion because it's made up of beautiful rituals. Kind of like this woman described in Revelation 17. Beautiful on the outside. All the adornments. But wicked on the inside. And some people, some people just like the rituals. Or maybe it's just confusion. They're a member of a false religion and they didn't mean to be, but they just, they don't know about Jesus yet. They've not heard the gospel. So they're just confused. And so we need to remember that. And so we live in a day where most people think that all religions are just a different form of the same thing. And they just have the idea, well, it doesn't really matter what you are as long as you're something. I want to read you this quote, a leader of the New Age movement. The New Age movement says this, we honor the truth and beauty of all the world religions, believing that each has a seed of a kernel of the spirit that unites us. So the New Age movement is a conglomerate, it's just kind of like, let's just pull everybody together and it's a very ecumenical thing and there's truth in all of these different religions. Another leader of the New Age movement said this, New Agers believe that God revealed himself in Jesus, but he also revealed himself in Buddha, in Krishna, who's one of the Hindu gods, and a host of others. And so the New Agers are not against Jesus. They just say Jesus is, is one of many. He's a the Hindus have hundreds of gods. Uh, the Buddhists uh, worship their way. And so he, Buddha would be their, their holy one or the one that they would emulate. They might not worship Buddha, but they would emulate Buddha. And so what the New Ages is saying is, hey, listen, God has revealed himself to us in all these different ways. And that is such a politically correct thing. And it seems so all-inclusive. And yet the problem with that line of thinking is it's wrong. It's not true. It's popular. It's palatable. It doesn't offend anybody, but it's not the truth. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, not a way or a truth. He said, I'm the life, not a life. And so Jesus, he demands our devotion. That's why I said at the beginning, false religion is any religion that does not confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so false religion is motivated by a lot of different things. And then the third and final thing I want to say this morning is simply this. Christianity, Christianity is not so much a religion as it is a relationship with Jesus Christ who has provided a way in his death on the cross for our sins to be forgiven. You see these other religions, all of them, here's what they say. They say, here's what you need to do to be a participant in this religion. You need to, to pray. You need to do this. You need to meditate. You need to clear out your mind. You need all these different things. You need to make pilgrimages to different holy sites across the world. And they, they give a list. All these other religions, if you will do this, then you can be part of this religion. What does Christianity say? Christianity doesn't say do. Christianity says done, D-O-N-E. 
Jesus Christ has done everything that needs to be done for us to have our sins forgiven and for us to have a personal relationship with God. I think back to that Tower of Babel, which was the beginning of all false religion. And I, I, in my mind, can imagine those men building that tower, erecting that city, saying, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a city, a tower that goes up into the heavens. That's a beautiful picture of false religion. We're going to do something to make ourselves acceptable to God, whoever God may be. What is Christianity? Christianity is not man building up. Christianity is God coming down. And it is God coming to this planet that we live upon. And it is Jesus Christ living 33 years of sinlessness. Ultimately, dying a sacrificial death on that cross, paying for our sins. And so you and I have a choice to make. How are we going to live our lives? Are we going to live our lives doing something, whatever these false religions would require us to do? Or are we going to live our lives by saying, you know what, I don't have to do anything. The only thing I have to do is to place my faith in what Jesus Christ has already done for me. We hope that today's message, False Religion and Dirty Politics, Part 2, has been a blessing to you today. You can find this message along with Part 1 and many others on our website, peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.